Welcome to the Culture Design Show, where we feature conversations with leaders and thinkers who are passionate about culture and design. Now, let's get started with the show. This podcast is brought to you by Culture Design Studio. This is where I help creative organizations transform their cultures from being controlling to being collaborative. Now, here are some of the things that I've learned. Your creative talent demands a co-creative culture in order to produce their best work. But there's a problem. So let's see if you can recognize some of these signs. There's no framework to move your culture forward. You have high turnover and low morale. There's increasing toxicity across all levels. There's team engagement and satisfaction that are on the decline. There's a misalignment between the employer brand and the employee experience. And there's poor communication about expectations and values. So if you want to learn more about how I provide facilitation and coaching for your creative team, reach out to me at culturedesignstudio.com. Today, my guest on the show is my good friend, Craig Foreman, who is the lead people scientist with Culture Amp. I have come to really admire uh, Craig, not only for his passion uh, for culture, but uh, even more so for the leaders that transform and lead cultures at organizations literally across the world. He supports uh, organizations with people and culture strategies, along with building what has been come to be known as the culture first community. I was, uh, I, I definitely wanted to be part of this in my own work because of his leadership. I uh, was able to see how he led a community and conversation at a culture first event about a year and a half ago. And so when I had the opportunity to be part of this organization, I jumped at it. At the core of his work is the mission to help the world work better by improving the places that we work. And that's a a pretty worthy mission to have. He holds a master's degree that I'm jealous of. It's one that I wish I had taken and maybe still can. It's a master's degree in industrial and organizational psychology and He is a veteran of the U.S. Air Force. Craig, welcome to the show, and thank you for your service. Thank you. Thank you for that, and thank you for the introduction. And I, too, am so grateful I've gotten to get to know you. I mean, it's weird when you said a year and a half ago. It was like, oh, that's right. (laughs) That was probably a little more than a year and a half ago. It it may have been. Um, So I just am really grateful I've gotten to know you and do some work with you along the way. And the fact that you jumped into Culture First has been such a gift to all of us. And uh yeah, I'm just glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, Craig, the topic of today is is culture and crisis, and we're going to definitely dig into that. But before we do, I always like to start off our conversations with just maybe, you know, what is the origin story of Craig Foreman? What has your professional journey looked like, and how has that culminated with your work at Culture Amp? Yeah, so I'm, I'll do this succinctly, but I do want, I think it's important to go way back because it's not been a, it's it's definitely not been a straight line. I'll say that even as a young kid, I always felt a pull towards people, trying to understand people. I was curious about people. I liked people. And then my parents got divorced when I was in middle school, which kind of turned into a series of a lot of moving around. Um, I moved states. And I think that I honed that skill. I think an adaptive, you know, kind of like had been. And I was social. I was a social creature anyways. So, I, you know, I, I, I started leveraging that. I think an early experience for me was working as a camp counselor. I think a lot about that. And first time I felt like community at work. I felt connection. It wasn't just a hourly job where I felt like I was being taken advantage of, but I felt really like a deeper sense of calling that stuck with me. I didn't know what that meant. 
Um, after high school, I did not do well in high school. I kind of found around a little bit. I, I worked and then decided I wanted to go to college and didn't have money. So I joined the Air Force uh, and spent four years in the Air Force. And then that was how I, I paid for my undergraduate degree. I returned to Florida, did my undergraduate degree at the University of Central Florida in business. But in the military, I was, I was out in California. So I, I packed my car, I came back to California because I loved it out here and I didn't want to make go of it. And that was, you know, gosh, 2003, 2004. Um, but started this professional journey. I started, I, again, that calling towards people. I, there was a company in San Francisco that was doing coaching. I got into coaching in higher ed. I was in higher ed for about six years. That's when I went back to school, decided if I'm going to get my master's degree, I wanted to really enjoy it. You know, the MBA was like, that's what you should do. But I kept looking at that program, the IO program. I was like, that's calling me. Did it and loved every minute. Um, I, but I didn't get out and have a job. It wasn't like, oh, and here's your cool OD job waiting for you. I, it wasn't. Um, what I did do was, Leveraged the fact that technology was booming again in the Bay Area. I went to an ed tech company. Um, and from there, I transitioned. That was my, like, I talk about this like a leap pad. So I, I leaped over to a company called Achievers, where I got to do work with large organizations, helping them with their technology solution around recognition and reward. So I was finally, like, talking the talk and in the space. And I just kept moving from that place, reading, um, networking. Eventually ended up for a year at LinkedIn, um, where I got talent professionals and when that was coming due, it's a longer story, but uh, I, want, I thought I wanted to stay, but I was very clear on what I wanted to be doing in the world. It wasn't seeming to align with opportunities at LinkedIn. Someone said, talk to this company, CultureAmp. They just came to the States. They're from Australia. They're doing great things. They're really a great vibe. And I went to them. We started a conversation. I was sharing these same things that I was sharing other places about wanting to be a thought leader and a speaker. And they're like, come do this job and we'll support you in that. That was three and a half years ago. So I joined, I got to work with it's amazing, large, well-known brands, either large organizations or very well-known brands around culture. And I was in the room with these results, like our giving them results. And there I am leading conversations with leaders. And it was, to me, it all came together. It was facilitation. It was hard conversations. It was looking at data. And I did that. And I started, I got very involved in going to conferences, meet as many people as possible, start doing my own content. And that transcended uh, my career. I've now the last couple of years away from as much clients and more into the world of um, events. I, I helped build our Culture First Global 2019 and, uh, 2018 and 2019, which is amazing experience. And then they asked if I would help build our chapters. And that was you know, when we were trying to evolve this, this idea of Culture First and was able to work with an amazing team of people to conceive what's that look like? What's that mean? How do we do this? We launched it last year. And now we have about 40 chapters globally that are people hosting these conversations. So. My journey has been a, a strange, you know, wild one, and I'm just kind of riding that wave and um, trying to bring, you mentioned my mission before, that drives everything I do, and it's just how can I go harder on that mission, and what's the best vehicle? So, long story, but that's kind of no. what brings me here today. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, I I, I didn't realize that, that story that uh, about you in terms of uh, traveling much, you know, in your childhood and moving from place to place, because that's something that... Uh, that I, I shared that part of my story with you. I wasn't uh, an army... Well, I don't know what, what uh, discipline it was, what service it was, but uh, I wasn't the equivalent of an army brat, but I was a pastor's kid. And I, I stopped counting at uh, nine different schools and 35 different houses that I lived in. So the ability to adapt to new environments uh, was definitely something that I, I learned along the way as well. By the way, for those of you that can't see us, uh, we're both wearing army green or, you know, you're wearing camouflage. That was completely unplanned. What were you thinking uh, as you, as you dress today? Funny, um, you know, I, I threw this on this morning when I was like bringing the kids around. I don't wear this sweatshirt that often, this camouflage hoodie. I threw it on. I came home. I did some final preparation for this, and I thought, let me go. Let me go change. 
But while I was doing my preparation, I was thinking a lot about, we we're talking about like, you know, leadership, particularly everything like, in crisis. I've been re reviewing some notes of conversations I've had and like the military kept coming up for me, like leadership and I mean, that, that is what the military does. Like, how do you lead people in really intense situations? I'm, I'm a vet. I was wearing this, I was thinking, and like, and I was like, yeah, I'm keeping it on. It just felt right today to call in, you know, my service. And when we talk about culture in the service of others, but I learned a lot in the military. And I think what I think with me in my work is that, you know, look, let's be real. Most of the companies I'm talking to oftentimes feel like at least kind of pretty white collar, a lot of tech or people are sitting in front of computers. And that's a certain, like this creative energy working in these types of offices is a unique type of culture. But I think we lump culture all together. And I just, I learned a lot about culture in the military and about, you know, a culture is designed to, to get something done. And we should be clear on that. And it takes different things. I mean, I'm not a big fan of command and control, right? I don't, but you know what? If you want to get 70,000 people anywhere in the world in 24 hours, if that's really the objective, command and control is important. So it's like, what's the objective? How do we build cultures to drive objectives in a good and healthy way? So I'm just calling in like today, it just felt right. Um, and it feels like, you know, leading in crisis is something that I, I, I learned in the military. Yeah, there's so much to that. I'm actually feeling a little bit of goosebumps as, as you're sharing that, because I think there's so much about even the time frame that we've been experiencing in the last 11 months. President Biden has described the pandemic that we're facing as it requiring a wartime response. I've heard it said early on in this pandemic that generals are made in times of war, like in terms of leadership are truly fashioned in times of great crisis. And I think there have been different aspects of society that have always been in, in some form of crisis over the, even the recent history. But I think over the last 11 months in particular, when you consider the pandemic, you consider economic upheaval, social unrest, this controversial election that it's been this melting pot of crisis. How have you personally journeyed through this pandemic over the last 11 months? And maybe even to that point, how has your either one, your military experience or your professional experience sort of fashioned you into the leader that helped you respond in that way? Great question. Well, let me, I'll, something just came to mind when you're saying that. So I'll answer this first, then I'll go into more of how I've dealt with it. But when you ask the military, what I take, what comes to mind first, I'm sure there's lots of things. I think the military, even like just, just six or seven weeks of basic training of like the experience of going to something hard and just being like, okay, get focused and get through. And then for that matter, probably the first, at least couple of years, if not four years. So when this hit, I was able to quickly pull on, okay, I've been through, things have been taken, stripped away what that feels like. So I think that's part of the military, you know, military trains, trains, trains for intensity. So when intensity happens, you're prepared. I mean, there's something about that if you'd let your brain experience the intensity before. Yeah. So I definitely think when this hit, um, that came up for me that like, okay, all right, we're going to go back into you know the trenches a little bit here and hunker down. I don't know what's coming. So how do we sure up what's, you know, safety around me and myself. And just that, that was that feeling that I think I first tapped into in my time in the military. Um, how have I personally gotten through it? I think there's a couple of things come to mind. One is um, finding stability quickly. You know, I noticed how I, I, you know, locked into some routines. I've been yeah. hiking a lot or walking or moving. Um, it's, it's adapted and shifted, but like some consistency has helped me. Um, and then family, you know, just the fact that, that I'm, I'm, I'm with my family, we're in a, you know, a place that we're comfortable. That's, that's been really grounding for me and just to really get back to source and grounding you know, the people that are close and, you know, around me. Um, and then I'd say the other piece, and I've reflected on this more recently because I've had to do some, you know, thinking about and talking about what we did last year with our community. 
look, this was a this was a part a job, so to speak. I mean, I was asked to do this. I was clearly excited about it, but I don't think until I look back. <laughs> over last year and realized how lucky I was to do the work I was doing, building community that meant something. But also I often say build for you, build for the world. And I think I was doing it there. You know, I, I can't believe it was, the year was so much better because I was building that community and the community oh, yeah. there around me and that all the connection and, um, you know, watching this come to life, but just the people and, and just being around tribe, so to speak. It's, it's wild to think back now. I don't know. I've connected the dots when I was in it. So that's that's how I got through. Yeah, I mean that that's definitely something that I noticed for myself early on. Uh, I I think at the first six weeks of this pandemic, I I, I felt like I was redlining mentally, emotionally, uh, really struggling to figure out how I wanted, how I needed to show up. And then I realized at a certain moment that one of the three things that I truly, truly needed and wanted was community, was connection. And the culture first community was a big, big part of that. And I think especially for those that are culture champions uh, in their respective companies, a lot of these folks are, you know, HR leaders who are having to lead, you know, they're almost like uh, in triage uh, in, in their companies and having to troubleshoot uh, and, and address some of these major decisions that have to be made. And it and it appeared to me that many of us, or I, I will put my name in, in that group, Many of the, the, the culture first champions uh, were experiencing some degree of fatigue at a certain point because they were shouldering a lot of that burden. Uh, and if it wasn't for community, it, it probably wouldn't have gone so well. Yeah. I'm really happy you called that out too. You know, one of the things, uh, one of my colleagues that I work closely with community did a, a project called HR for HR. It's on, you know, you can go to culturefirst.com and learn about communities, but also some of this work. And she, we ran a survey, we gave resources out and yeah, it was very good. We, we sensed it, but the, the the survey results came back and it was very clear that you're right. The people that are out there to support the culture and that, you know, the well-being of others, we're getting really burnt out. And it's kind of like the oxygen mask. We need to call it out. You need to get your, you know, we need to support each other so we can then go out and support one another. We'll get depleted and that's not good. Um, so I'm just really happy you called that out, that it, a, lot, a lot has been carried by the people that are looking after our people in our organizations. And we got to take care of yourselves and we have to support them, to take care of themselves so they can take care of us. Yeah. One of the things I think that we've learned uh, throughout this whole time is uh, this shared or what some might call a common humanity that uh, we do have together. What are some lessons uh you know, when we think of like, oh, oh my gosh, that that CEO or that CHRO, they're so high in their position. You know, someone who might be in middle management or on on the in the the front lines may not think that they uh, have a lot in common with with these high profile figures. But I think definitely our common humanity has been revealed, and and I think sometimes being able to share that vulnerability. I remember with one company that we were working with, uh, one of the, the common uh, things that was brought up was we want our leaders to show that they are struggling with the same things that we are. They're, they're struggling with having to have kids in the background, uh, you know, screaming or that maybe not everything is going well or, or maybe, you know, just the struggles that we are all working uh, through and, and maybe share like, how am I personally dealing with crisis? And so maybe that's a question, uh, you know, for our conversation today. What lessons have you learned from maybe your own personal crises, whether it's during the pandemic or even before, that you have seen that they can be lessons that we can share with others to as they're going through their own crisis themselves? 
Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to share some reflection, but I want to say is preparing for this. One of the things I wanted to do is look back on some of the interviews I've done, you know, is particularly this past summer. So we were really in the thick of it. And we did a series called How We Work. And I got to interview some amazing people. And today I looked at two interviews, one with um, Caitlin Holloway and Claude Silver. Caitlin was the CHRO at Reddit and is now at, I believe, 776. You can double check that venture. So she's very involved with the ex-CEO of Reddit at um, this venture fund looking to build unique and you know culture-driven organizations. And Claude is the uh, chief heart officer at VaynerMedia. I also spoke with, and then the second one I looked at was uh, Lori Mazin from Sounding Board, the co-CEO of Sounding Board, a coaching company for leaders, Meredith Haberfield from Think Human, and uh, Mo Carrick, who is an author and also does a lot of work around you know leadership development. So I was reviewing those notes, and I just want to call them in because I might hit some things that they said, not specifically, but that was you know a lot. I wanted to pull from that information as well and my own. So your question is, let's just reframe that question, Steve. Yeah. So uh, when you've gone through personal crisis yourself, what lessons have you learned that have carried into your current work today? (laughs) EQ, 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 EQ. Like the more that I've worked with organizations and like they're all trying to fix it, which is great. We need to create good structures. We need to build organizations to support humans. The more it becomes clear that so much work is fixing it and pointing inside as well. It's I've, you know, I've started this journey of, of growth and like, you know, do my own work probably nine, 10 years ago, but it's, it's a journey, but our more and more, I realize our leaders, we need to do this, you know, especially in conflict, when your own fear is up, when your own anxiety is up, when your own uncertainty is up and you're leading others, can you tease apart? Can you put that on a shelf? Can you even identify like, that's my piece, or you've got this challenging employee. Can you say, okay, like I get it. I have a story that people that are insistent, you know, trying to get information are X, Y, and Z. I'll, I'll put that aside. Now I got to deal with this person who needs something like, so how do you get out of the equation as a great leader? How do you take yourself out of the equation in a sense, or at least be aware of yourself in the equation. So you're not being driven around by some unmet needs that you have and you can't best support others. So I, you know, I definitely go back to, to that piece. I think, you know, the more I go, it's important. Um, and it's been important part of my, I think my journey and my success and my failures but like, I'm able to grow from my failures. I'm able to learn. I'm able to take feedback because I'm able to like get me out of it and want with the deep desire to grow. Um, and I, I think we need more of that with our leaders. And I think we all, and, it, and it's not a one and done. It's not a training. It is a practice. It is continued. And we need accountability and sustainability inside of our organizations to hold our leaders accountable to a certain set of standards and, and not be so loose and only look at outcomes. Yeah. I, I think for me, when I think of crises, uh, you know, I think it's a, sometimes a crisis of identity sometimes for me when I, when I, that I go back to, you know, where I've had some really, really good heart to heart conversations. I was doing some soul searching about three years ago and I sent a, a list of questions out to about 10 people, some family, some friends, some coworkers and asked them quite very pointed questions, you know, things like, uh, what are some things that you think that I, I do well? What is the one thing that I really need to work on? What are some things that I take for granted? And, and, I think their responses were both very affirming, but also very gut-wrenching. Uh, I, I literally, with some of the gut-wrenching stuff, was sick to my stomach for a couple of weeks uh, because of realizing that I, I definitely needed to work on some things. Uh, I look back over my leadership journey and just realized that there have been some things that I know I've done wrong, definitely have learned from them. And thank God the people that I worked with had a lot of grace for me. Uh, what are some specific things maybe that you've drawn from your or your own experience that you could say these, you know, these times of crisis or maybe the crisis is not the right word. It may be just some some time of deep transformation for yourself 
that you've definitely could say, I, I, I bring this into my work today. Yeah. You know, one thing I'll say is, look, I think this is a unique time because we're all in crisis collectively, like that doesn't happen yeah. often. Let's not forget like crisis is happening all the yeah. time. People are with loss, people are struggling with addiction, people are struggling with, you know, jobs or losing jobs or getting jobs. So I just, I, I hope we hold on to this common humanity that yes, what's unique now is we all can rally around this common like uh, source of struggle. However, struggle is a human experience. And I hope we all like learn how to lead others. And maybe even when things are better, like who is in crisis and how do we better lead? I think for me, um, it's been the work. Okay. So I have this idea, this belief, uh, you know, like I think we all care. Everything has has a shadow side and a yep, light side, agreed. right? And the shadow is kind of the, I, I think is the, the, especially for myself, the piece that I'm trying to repress, deny or hide. And the work has been like, getting in a safe way to be able to start to pull those up and look at those. Like you said, you got sick for two weeks. To me, what that tells me is like, oh, I'm really sorry, number one, you felt that. Number two is that's probably the thing you had to look at harder than anything and you didn't want to because it was hard and it was, but that was the growth edge. And the truth is you probably got through it and you're probably okay today and you're better off and you've grown and it was hard. And I think for me, what comes up around that on the chat, let's just stay on the shadow side for now is can you start to play with that? Pull these things up you kind of don't want to look at and like start to look at a little bit, just how holding maybe there's something to learn here, what's going on versus if you just push it down, don't want to look at it, they're there. Yeah. They're like I said, part you were, and it's driving the bus like blindly and like, is that what you want? So I think that's the, that's one side I think of the equation is looking at those. And I'll even in a second, I'll tap in if you want to look, take, I'll take a look at what some of mine have been just to share with yeah. others. But the flip side that I think I'm learning more and more too is the gold side. The side we think is like, oh, of course, I'll just look at the shadow. That's where the work needs to be done. And I realize more and more that even our gold can be scary. Mm -hmm. to, like if your gold is about you going in the world and making change and going for it to like fully like this, like cut the cord and go, that's scary to embrace your greatness to all of it. Like that comes a lot of responsibility. And what if I fail and all that? So also looking and willing to unlock your gold in the world. So I'll just get, let's see, I'll get personal. What are, what are some of my shadows? My shadows professionally, and I've done a lot of work and keep looking. It's pretty, some are classic. I mean, imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. this thing I didn't want to talk about for a long time. I'm not good enough. They're going to find out who the fuck am I to be out here? Yeah. Sorry. Who am I to be talking about like the world and culture and, and like coming to terms with those stories and being like, I feel I have something to say. I'm going to share it. If the world, like it's a reciprocal, I don't need the whole world. I, I simply have something to share. And, and it seems to, so just leaning into that, I mean, both from sharing my voice, but also organizationally of stepping into like, just, you know, who am I to kick off a community? Who am I to like lead any of that? And, but when it comes up instead now, I'm like, ah, there you are. I know you. And like, cool. Like you're there. You're trying to say something to me. My, my mind is probably my scared little kid that's trying to like avoid failure, getting hurt. And I can like see it and be like, I hear you. I get it. I know you're trying to protect me. In this case, I'm looking at the whole thing. I'm going to keep moving, but thanks. And I'm not trying to kill it, remove it, deny it, but I'm in relationship with it. And it's not kind of incessantly driving me. Um, on the gold side, I think I've probably hidden from some leadership. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, that, you know, to really step into it, I have to be in my own kind of get my life and in integrity. And like, how can I walk the walk? I don't talk the talk. So I think there was some work I had to do personally to get myself feeling like a really tight alignment to my values and how I'm living and behaving in my life, or I would be an authentic leader and they'd all see it. There's the imposter syndrome mm -hmm. again. So the goal for me was, yeah, just saying like uh, a leader is not a manager. It's not an assigned position and the leaders, how we, I can just show up in the world and like lead in my own way and follow others. So 
that's probably the two sides for yeah. me. Well, I think it's so important for us as leaders, no matter at what level you are, for us to have some degree of, of self-reflection and soul-searching in that regard to, one, understand what, what is the gold, what is the light that we bring to the world, and, and not be afraid. You know, there's a scripture that says, don't put your light under a bushel. Like, don't hide it from the world. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. And, and we, we many times we we fail to do that because of whatever reasons, the imposter syndrome, or uh, we don't believe it for ourselves. But also the inner work of here are some really you know tough things that we need to address. And I, I don't know about you, but I feel like if I really want to be effective and create change in whatever world I'm in, whether it's in the industry, whether it's with a client, whether it's with a team that I am a part of. I feel like I need to do some of that inner work first. Have you experienced that for yourself? Oh yeah. I mean, I think what's else become more obvious to me along the way is that it's easy to want to try to like push people, beat them over the head with something, especially, especially when you feel deeply like it's the right thing. I know people would see it this way, belonging, inclusion, all these things that maybe we struggle with in our organizations to try to push others, which and sometimes this may be helpful. But what I've learned more than anything is the harder work is to say, you know, be the change you want to see in the world. I wish they were doing this. I wish it was more like that. And then looking at yourself and saying, how can I do more of that? How can I be more of that? How can I be more inclusive? How can I be more understanding? How can I, all the things you want that you're probably frustrated with are probably a good signal for you of what you, yeah. and then I ask is that be that. And, and what I think happened, what I've learned is the more I've showed up from that place, the world has kind of responded differently. And to the flip side, let's say imposter syndrome as a manager, gosh, my first goes at being a manager was not a good experience because of course, just like I probably done with leaders, they sniffed it out and they poked on it. And I got defensive and mm. defended and guarded and it created this really bad versus if I could have shown up in the beginning and say, I don't know. I don't know. Here's what I know. Here's what I can do. How might we? And I, you can't get there unless you're willing to do the work to say, I'm willing to, I'm willing to show up and say, I don't know. So yeah, that's, that's been it for me. And, and the other example I'll use, I learned this early on, like I'm really, I like vulnerability. Yeah. I like, you know, and I love what happens when people get vulnerable. Yeah. I've seen it a thousand times. But I was aware of that. I've been doing some work. I was like, I want to bring this to the workplace. And I would say, hey, like, let's organize a, a group and like, let's get vulnerable. And it was like crickets. <laughs> like, no one's like, yeah, let's go get vulnerable. However, if I started bringing in nuggets and ways to make meetings a little bit more vulnerable or, you know, saying, let's, let's come together, let's have connection. And then using my skills as a facilitator to create some vulnerability in a safe way, every time when it was over, people lit yeah. up. They loved it. We wanted as humans. So that was an example of like, how do you go like, go do it, stop talking about it, be it, do it, live it. And um, I think you'll find that when you can be comfortable with your own leader, that people will be comfortable to start like saying, okay, let's go somewhere together and they'll follow you somewhere. Yeah. One of the things you said to me in our, our conversations as we were preparing for our conversation today was in order to fix it there, meaning in whatever professional context you may find yourself, it's important to fix it here. It's a pretty powerful statement, and and I think it speaks to what we're describing as the inner journey of a leader, uh, because a lot of times we we are in some form of crisis internally, and maybe no one will ever see it. Even for those that are that are charismatic, for those that do well in front of on a stage or in front of people, there's a lot that's going on. And the imposter syndrome is actually a really big one. In fact, we have a question from one of our audience members about imposter syndrome. It says, how do you convince leaders that cultivating the culture is important and not just a nice to have. Uh, this person says, I seem to easily shut down when I try to start the conversation about being kind and creating 
a purposeful rounding on staff. So how do how do we when we're talking about cultivating culture and, and, and describing it as important uh, a necessity, how, how do we address some of those things in the cultures that we are trying to foster? Yeah, I like that. Okay, Terry, I'm seeing this. Okay. So here's the first thing, Terry. Um, when I heard that question, the first word that jumped out to me was, how do you convince? Stop trying to convince. Um, I think that is kind of a scenario where we get stuck trying to like change another. Um, not that I admire, I know where you're going, I know what you're talking about. And, I, and we see this question all the time, like how do we get leaders to come on board to it's not just a nice to have. I seem to be easily shut down when I try to start the conversation of being kind and creating. A, I don't know where you work, I don't know what's going on. There's probably a lot going on, but I would say the same thing that I just said, first of all, is what's the change that you're really struggling you want to see in your organization and how can you do more of it? I think that I've found with leaders, okay, I'm going to tap into my professional side now, right? So I work for a company called CultureAmp. We run these, we have these amazing tools, both engagement surveys, but also kind of like one-on-ones and, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion surveys, so large surveys and also tools that help, you know, like individual kind of connection. And what really happens, I've heard a lot of leaders say, I've been saying these things for a long time to my leaders, getting nowhere. And when I run a tool like yours and I finally have some data to back me up, it, it speaks. I Like it or not, I think right now, uh, leadership in most of our organizations is kind of leans towards like the, the left brain a bit, analytical, uh, decisive, and making decisions, timelines, those sorts of things. So having some data to support a story for a leader, I think goes a long way. So I would ask you, is there anything that in your organization, is there data that you can use and tell a story? Do you know that, you know, four out of 10 of our employees in this division feel X versus only two out of 10 in the rest of the organization? You know, can we look at that? Or what are some strategies? Here's how it's impacting engagement. What can we do? That's the other thing is tying it back to the outcome for leaders. Uh, look, I want every organization to be like, yeah, we're changing to make the best organization in the world. But I've walked into many organizations that I can tell the leadership feels like, look, I don't know, but I, I believe that engagement is important. We've got to run surveys and, you know, so we're going to, we're going to do that. We need to be listening and it might not be the most altruistic, but they're, they're starting. And it's to what we talked about before, Steve, is that a journey in emotional intelligence, both organizationally and individually starting to get some feedback, some data, those gut checks a little bit. Yeah. So can you get some of that in your organization? Now, Terry, see Hospital, everyone is stressed, turns into shortness and rude responses. When I bring that up, leaders find other reasons to excuse the data. Um, I'd also say some of it's kind of how we're facilitating those conversations. We got stress happening right now. Um, I, I would imagine sometimes you get you might get frustrated and then say like, why can't we? Why? When that energy happens, people aren't in the most. So how are we? Can you set aside some time? Can you get a facilitator to come in to help hold that space? Can we check in? What's going on here? Because you're going to learn that that leader's stressed now because they've got investors up there, yeah. whatever. Yeah. You know, so like we got to get, everybody is dealing with these same human anxiety, which is fear, joy, sadness, shame, guilt. Like there are some of these core emotions. And if we can tease those out, that's where our commonality is. Um, they're not doing it to you. They're, they're doing their best to survive and do what they think they're trying to do. And it's like, how do we come together and, serve as reflections for each other and support one another. So I'd have to get into a, a, a deeper conversation, but I hope that was sort of helpful, uh, Terry. I appreciate the question. Yeah, thank you. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think many times when we're trying to change culture in any given organization, especially some of these high stress, such as hospitals, especially in the midst of a pandemic, you know, we see it as a titanic, a titanic of a change to, 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 to change and to turn and I almost think of it, uh, I used to do marathons and I haven't done one in 10 years, but 
I remember when I first started training for a marathon, I, 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 my first workout was only about a, a mile. I thought it had been like three miles. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I've got 26.2 of these. How am I going to do it? And I had one coach that said, how do you finish a marathon? One step at a time. And so I translate that to even some of my culture work as well. Sometimes that shift doesn't happen at a ship level. It happens at an individual level. So sometimes I need to change that within me and almost start with a culture of one and then finding someone else to help and finding other people one person at a time to uh, to to be able to change that culture. And it's like, you know, running a marathon, you finish it one step at a time. How do you change culture one person at a time? And so I think that that's the long game. That's not an easy answer. It's not one that people like to hear because it, that's going to take a long time. But if you get one person impacting another person, those two people impact one person each. That's four. It, it, it becomes this it like it's like catching fire at an organic level. And hopefully people will can be convinced at, at a much greater level. So folks, for folks that are listening to us, I, yeah, please. Can I come back real quick? I just had a chance to process a little more at Terry's question. And I think I liked my first answer, but I also, had, number one, I saw hospitals. So first of all, let me acknowledge, I do not know what it's like to be in a hospital right now. I can't imagine that level of stress, anxiety, or what I'm projecting is going on there. So first of all, I can only speak at this high level and you're in an environment that I don't know and I'm not living. But I had this other thought too, Terry, and like, I thought to myself, okay, like what if it was like battle time or like really hardcore, like what I imagine you might be in a hospital. I think another effective measure is that when, when we're frustrated or we see a different way, we're trying to, like you said, how to convince or push. I think, you know, talk about vulnerability and going deeper is what, what's, what are you not getting? When you act this way to me, I shut down. I'm scared. I don't know what to do with this patient. I don't know. If you could probably go to a leader and say, when you know, when you are quick with your decisions or whatever that thing is that's very definable, not a lot of judgment, and say, here's what's here's what happens to me, and you know, here's what comes up, and I feel like it's hard to work in that environment. What I'd like is X. You might not get it, but at least you spoke it and you said it, and you were able to share your deeper truth. What are you not getting? What do you need? Maybe ten people love that leader, and you're like, I don't like it. <laughs> ten people are like, oh, I get it. Direction. We know what to do. I don't know. I think sometimes if we can hear how our actions are being perceived by others, it puts the onus on the person now to say, do I want to keep behaving that way? Do I intentionally want to do that? So that's another one is if you're willing to really, what's your deeper want? What are you not getting? And can you share that with this person and say, when you do X, yeah. here's what comes up for me. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. So good. One of the things we we thought to talk about today too was, you know, you in your work, you talk with leaders, these great culture leaders, thought leaders from around the world, and you've You've convened a ton of conversations, not just in the last year, but over the last three, four, five years. And I would imagine that you've been able to observe how they have led their teams and how they have collaborated in the middle of a crisis. But let's be maybe a little bit more specific. Sarah has a question for us that says that leading through crisis can be challenging, exhausting, and lonely work. What are some ways maybe that you have seen and observed other leaders that help their team to stay energized and positive when trying to make a difference? Yeah, Sarah, thank you. First, to the culture changers, we call them culture activists, uh, people that are willing to take action to make a difference. And we love, we, we, in culture first, we hold, like we feel like we can take back that word activist. It doesn't have to be a bad word, a negative word, an angry word, it's about taking action. And we wanna take action and change something. Most people in organizations I'm learning 
not everybody gets to sit. Steve, I imagine you get to have these conversations often. I work with culture amp. Come on. Like I'm talking about culture all day long. I love it. What I'm learning is so many people aren't, they feel alone. Sarah, I imagine our conversation is a little bit of that. Like you are that champion out there pushing this idea that you might get all the support you need in your organization is, is not always realistic. Like they're doing their best, but they, um, you know, to be a change agent is hard and it's lonely or it would have been done already. So what I say to you is where's your community? Like that's what we found in culture first come be with your community, recharge your engines, remind yourself that we're all out. There's a lot of us. So you're, you have the energy to go back to that, to the battlefield and do what you need to do. You're probably not going to get your, 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 your energy filled on the battlefield. Right. So it's like, where are, how can you connect with your community of people that are feeling like you dealing with what you're dealing with? So you can empower yourself to go back and have the energy. Okay. Flip it into your organization. Now you've done that, right? Put the oxygen mask on first, take care of yourself. You can't bring it to your organization. Then our leaders and managers are feeling the same way. They're stuck in the middle, like trying to figure this out too. Their employees and their managers, and they're struggling. Can you bring them together? Can you help them support one another in their struggles? Can they show up in a safe space, maybe not with their subordinates or direct reports, where they can say, I'm scared. I don't know. This sucks. We don't have the money. What do we do? And another another manager can say, here's what I've done. And they can support one another. And then say to them, go support your teams, especially in crisis. Like they need to be heard. Like you can, you can try to push it down, but if someone's scared, like their mind's not operating the way you probably want it to. And if you can have a conversation and if it's realistic to do what you can do to help minimize that and make have help them feel safe again, you know, not only is teamwork going to happen, but, but the product is, is you know, is probably going to happen. And so I would just say it's, it's a trickle down, take care of yourself, then figure out how to take care of your managers because they're stressed. So they can then go take care of their employees and your employees then are expected, go take care of our customers or your customers, whoever they are. Um, and I guess that goes back to servant leadership in, in a sense. So that's, that's what I'd say is how do we create the support networks so people can get real with one another and like be honest and get, you know, clear with the space so they can keep doing their best work. Yeah. Some of that deep work is so important. And, and again, uh, I, I keep bringing up uh, maybe scriptural references, but there's this uh, one verse that says, uh, let me, or a song rather, it was a song, not a verse. It says, let me encourage you as I encourage myself, <laughs> because it, it's, we're having to continuously, you know, uh, get recharged and heal and fixed and, and encouraged ourselves so that we can go back out to the battlefield, as you, as you said, and, and share uh, with others, you know, some degree of encouragement. That's why for me, being part of this culture first, which is not the intention of this conversation, but it keeps coming up. Being part of the culture first community has been so important to me. Uh, we gather, uh, you know, the leaders gather once a week, um, but the, the groups get gathered together once a month. And it's just so important. That's the, the common thing that I hear every time we hold a session on any topic. They're, they're almost saying like, I don't care what we talk about. I just want to be with people that are like-minded, lighthearted, like-hearted and are willing to be vulnerable and talk about the challenges that we're facing, but also be able to celebrate together when great things happen. And that has been such a beautiful thing that I have come a part of, uh, or that I've, that I've experienced and culture first definitely does provide that. But I think other industries, other functional areas, there needs to be community that is generated for those, uh, those areas as well. So, uh, so for me, I thank you for leading that effort across the globe. I appreciate it. It means a lot. And you know, one of the, what you said, one of the things, look, I, I started this and I tell you, you've heard me say it. I say it on our leads calls. Like, I don't know, (laughs) uh, you know, I just know that I've trusted, you know, my intuition, the people around me, we've got this far and we'll keep going. So I, I hold the space open that I don't have all the answers, but 
I also didn't know in the beginning. And I thought at first it was all about content, content, content. And we started seeing the feedback coming saying it's the, you know, when you do the breakouts and we connect yeah. with others. And I was like, look, I still want great content, but I'm listening. Yeah. And what I'm hearing is people are fine with the content. And I think we over this again, left brain. I got to give content. I got to give value, value, measurable value. Fine. But there's also the right brain, which is connection. I need humanity. I need to like connect. We're, 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 we're uh, you know, we are pack animals. Like historically, we don't, we don't survive. We can't live without each other. It's, you know, I have a dog. Like you watch dogs. It's kind of interesting. You learn about pack, how it works. And I'm realizing more and more we're the same. So we need that. So I'm realizing that when we build our events, we focus as much on content as we do on, on process, on uh, facilitation and we do breakouts, we do conversations. It keeps people. It's what I think it really, it's, it's really the, the fire in this whole thing. And uh, that's, you know, sometimes people have run an event and only six or seven people show up. But it's like, sometimes those are the best. So Let's not, you know, be careful about the measurement. Just uh, just keep providing connection around a theme. We got to, we can't just, we're not anybody gathering. We are a group of people who believe a better world of work is possible and want to do something about it. If that fits, this is your community. By the way, I have to say www.culturefirst.com to learn more. You can see all the upcoming events too. If you just want to drop into some, they're another gift. They're all virtual now. Yeah. There's 12 to 15 a month running. It's, it's, it's brilliant. So please come be part, like, be the change you want to see in the world. Be part. And if you're part of the community, you're not just a taker. We're going to ask you to be like, what's your what's your unique contribution? How can you put a little bit of, of, of seasoning in the soup to, to make this thing happen? Yeah, th- thank you so much for that. Uh, it's been it's been an amazing p- part of my journey throughout these last nine months so, or 11 months. So it's been an encouragement. I know that early on the vision was for us to gather together. And in the, in the vision is a bit big. You know, you said it was a, how many groups are, are there right now? How many chapters? Over 40. 40. And I know that the goal is 100. Wait, uh, the first growth, that was just something, no, the goal is way bigger All than right. 100. But first benchmark is like, let's get to 100 chapters. Which, so. is, which is amazing. <laughs> the largest community of people around the globe who believe a better world of work right. is possible. Like that. That's what we want. So to as we start to wind down, I want to I want to return back to another question that we had before. And that is, uh, as you've observed leaders, what are some leaders or some even just some attributes that you have seen of, of leaders that have really risen uh, to the task throughout these 11 months that have done some amazing things at their organizations? Maybe one example of somebody that you've observed, heard about uh, anyone come to mind for that? Oh my gosh, a ton. But so on the spot, I mean, first it comes up is uh, culture amp. I love, look, I've always said at culture amp, something that's attracted me and still does is that we are as much about our what as our why. And I, you know, in the beginning I was saying that I felt it, but I was like, is it true? And I'm three and a half years with culture amp and I still feel it that yes, our what is our tools, but more important is our why what we're trying to create in the world. The same reason they're supporting the culture first community, the same reason that why and how we build our tools um, and we only have four values. And so I would say that watching our CEO and leadership team, particularly Didier Elzinga, try to be that, not is that he messes up and he, and he, and he owns it. So one of our values is courage to be vulnerable. I think as a leader, you know, he does that, he shows that. And I've seen others, you know, when I talk to Claude Silver, you know, she's always exemplifying what it's like to be, you know, vulnerable. She leads a thousand, you know, thousand people. She's, you know, Gary says he he is her number two, mm-hmm. period, before the CFO. And 
also she talks about empathy. She talks about vulnerability. She talks about like love, love, you know, can we look at that word a little more, you know, is that a scary word? And how can we bring like this idea of love into our workplaces? So courage to be vulnerable. Another one is amplify others, which is our value. Again, I think that it's, you know, leaders that don't take their eye off the ball and look to amplify greatness around them and amplify others. Even in times of crisis, how do you amplify people that are doing great work? Maybe it's not the person that you had that came up through the ranks in times of everything was chill. And maybe all of a sudden in times of crisis, you have a person that's four years in their, their career that's showing some real skill. Can you amplify that person? Because we need them now. I don't know. You know, so that's that's another example. The third would be trust others to make decisions, especially now. We need to move fast. We're distributed. Can you let go of control a little bit and trust that the people you've built, the people you're supporting can make decisions? And what does that look like to trust others to make decisions? Uh, and finally, uh, learn faster through feedback is our fourth value, clearly with our tools and whatnot, but mean it. Like learn faster through feedback, mm -hmm. listen. And what we talk about is collect, understand, act, repeat. It is not a one, one and done. It is a dynamic. It's a cycle. Get that feedback, collect it. Take time individually or organizationally to understand it. Make sure you have good tools to understand what can you make sense mm -hmm. of this data? What one or two actions? Yeah. You know, we talk about change, you know, one easy as one, two, three. Take one thing. Listen, if you've got your notepads out, people love this one. Take one thing, come up with two things you want to do about it and communicate mm -hmm. three times, the beginning, awesome. the middle, and the yep. end. Like it's simple and it's, it, it's truth. It's like, it's how, so get that feedback. Here's what I'm going to do about it. Let me communicate to those that need to know. Here's what you can expect. And I'm going to follow up on this. Um, learn faster through feedback. Like it's important. Well, you mentioned Didier and, uh, and Claude, and I both hope, I hope to have both of them on the podcast one day. So we'll, uh, we'll look forward to that potentiality. Uh, Craig, you mentioned uh, how to get a hold of uh, sort of the culture first community, but in general and uh, specifically, you conclude that one. If people want to know more about you and your work, where can they go? Right now, it's LinkedIn. Go to LinkedIn, uh, Culture Craig. You can look me up at Culture Craig or Craig Foreman. Connect with me on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. However, uh, I'm in the process of launching culturecraig.com. So I'll put that on there now because it will be alive. Um, so hopefully that'll be a hub where I can like have more of this content and everything live longer than like LinkedIn where it flows. But right now, reach out, connect with me. Let me know that you heard me. You know, you heard this with Steve. Give me a note when you connect to me. It's important. And I'd love to be connected and, and we can continue to work together and support and build that community, make it stronger. Well, thank you, Craig. Thanks for being on the show. I much appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for listening to the Culture Design Show. We'll see you again next time. Be sure to click subscribe to get future episodes. And while you're at it, feel free to leave a review of the podcast. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.